2: This is Pop
1: Psych 101.
2: Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Ingolstadt, and I am in the need of a hero. I feel like we could all use a hero right now um, to get us through this monotonous quarantine situation we all seem to be stuck in for, for who knows how much longer it will be. And while I don't have a hero that I can offer you on today's episode, I do have a group of mental health Avengers I was lucky enough to join a group of other mental health-themed podcasts, including Capes on the Couch, Popcorn Psychology, Freudian Sips, and Guardians M.H., and we had a great conversation. It's about an hour and a half long, halfway through, uh, we switched. So the first half is about what it's like to be a mental health provider right now, and the second half is actionable tips that people can use to help themselves uh, take care of themselves, take care of their mental health during the quarantine. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation. Before the episode, one other thing I want to share with you all is another podcast, actually. So the Positive and Negative podcast hosted by Tristan Miller is an interview podcast about mental health and the arts. Tristan is doing some editing for the show right now. We really appreciate his, his work and his support making the show sound great. So definitely check out his show as well. So before we get to today's episode, just one word from our sponsor.
3: Hello and welcome to a very special podcast episode. I am Anthony Sitko, co-host of Capes on the Couch, and this is a Mental Health Avengers Age of Access Part Two. We are once again joined by a phenomenal group of friends and co-hosts and cohorts, uh, as it were, of various mental health podcasts. So first, I will turn it over to uh, my co-host Doc Issues, um, and then we'll go around the room. Man, this is
1: uh, always fun. I'm glad I was able to be a part of this. So, yeah, as he said, I'm Doc Issues. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist and director for an inpatient psychiatric hospital in New Jersey. Yes, that is as fun as it sounds.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's always a joy getting to do these episodes with you, Doc. Next, we'll turn it over to uh, Guardians MH. So...
0: Oh yeah, we're Guardians MH. Uh, my name is Dr. Goku. I'm a resident in psychology in private practice, and I am also the clinical director with Guardians MH, with a, which is a five hundred one c three nonprofit uh, melding uh,
4: mental health and video games. And uh, my name is Matt. I'm a uh, LMSW, uh, and I'm a uh, mental health volunteer for Guardians MH.
3: Thank you very much, and Matt. This is your first foray with the Avengers, so welcome. Thank you. Uh, we'll get you your your code name and uh, ID card. Jarvis will will get that over to you shortly. Next, Alrighty. we're going to next we're going to swing it over to Anna from Freudian Sips.
5: Yes. Hi, I'm Anna from Freudian Sips. Uh, I am representing me and my co-host, who could not make it. That's Bonnie, um, but we are both licensed professional counselors in Illinois, um, and we are happy to be here. We could not. I keep I'm using the royal we. I'm happy to be here. Uh I, I could not make it last time for the age of access part one. So this is exciting.
3: Well glad to have you and uh mm-hmm. good to good to have you back here. Next we'll swing over to Pop Psych 101 and Ryan.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. I, I, I wasn't able to make either of the first two Avengers mental health episodes. Um and I'm I'm the lone host of Pop Psych 101 now, but we are rebooted and going strong now in the, in the age of quarantine, so happy to be with you guys and talking mental health. Well, happy to have you here. Thanks so much for, for coming on by Ryan. And last but not
3: least, we've got Popcorn Psych, Popcorn Psychology.
6: I guess I'll start. Uh, my name is Ben Stover. I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor. I'm a clinical director of a private practice as well as a, a therapist at a large uh, police department.
7: Um, I'm Brittany Brownfield. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor as well, so just a therapist. Um, My special my specialty, if I want to say that, is child therapy, Um, and I work primarily with kids and teenagers in Chicago.
8: My name is Hannah Espinoza. I'm a marriage and family therapist. I mostly right now. I just work in private practice in the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm.
3: Excellent. (laughs) as i said uh so great to have all of you here with us some of you returning some of you new but all of you uh, do amazing things with your podcasts and all of you are excellent advocates for mental health so we are glad to know and be friends with all of you so this is a follow-up from our last episode um, that we got together in early february and we joked that it was the infinity war of the Mental Health Avengers, because there were so few people who ended up ultimately being able to make the session. I think it was uh, me and Doc Issues, and uh, Hannah, and then uh, Doctor Goku and Joe from Guardians of yeah. mm-hmm. So we were. It was it was like we half the Avengers had been snapped, but uh, this is the end game now. So we are all back. Um, so you are all on my left, as it were, <laughs> um, since I'm totally <laughs> Captain America here. Absolutely. And uh, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, which you totally should go back and listen to now, so pause. If you're listening to this now, pause and go back and listen to Age of Access Part 1 so you understand sort of what it is that we're talking about. But the crux of that episode was discussing several of the problems with access to mental health. And the three... uh, several of the primary issues that we discussed were professional availability, basically the fact that there are not enough mental health professionals to go around and to cover uh, all of the folks with their individual needs. Uh, Insurance, and all of the, this is largely an American thing because the overwhelming majority of us do operate in the U.S., And so the insurance issue definitely is is a major obstacle. I know Dr. Goku was able to speak to some extent about the Canadian perspective, but by and large, um, we were coming at it from from an American perspective. And then some of the other issues were just as we were discussing physical access and whether or not there were uh, tying in with the professional availability, whether or not there was someone in that person's particular area and you know, cost and and so on and so forth. So um, the thing is Age of Access Part 1 was recorded right, or at least released right when COVID-19 was just starting to take hold really uh, in in China and just starting to come to various other parts of the world. And so what we are now recording is in a world that is very different, I think we can all agree, mm-hmm. than the world in which Part mm-hmm. 1 was, Uh, recorded and discussed. And so I think we're just going to get right to it. Then the elephant in the room, Um, we were discussing problems with access to mental health professionals. And one of the at least proposed potential solutions was telepsych. And I think now in an age of social distancing, physical isolation, et cetera, we have seen a dramatic increase in telepsych, telemedicine in general. And so I posit to the professionals in the room, what are some of the ways in which the COVID-19 pandemic and social isolation and social distancing have impacted your practices, and how do you think this is going to impact access to telepsych and telemedicine and mental health professionals in general moving forward. And I'm just going to throw that open to basically any of the professionals who want to jump in. You know, we're all on video, so like raise your hand so we're not all talking over one another, but I don't know who wants to jump on that grenade first.
1: All right, I'm on it. So this actually isn't new to me. When I was working in the ER and the director for our emergency service there, we were using telepsych for the past seven years and it had to do with the fact that we were covering more than one hospital for our county and we knew we couldn't split One doctor into four people. So it was just easier to do it that way. I will say that it was antiquated compared to the way we're able to do things over the internet now, but I always wondered, why on earth aren't we just doing this much more? I understand for many other parts of healthcare that it's not the same thing. But when it comes to mental health, we are talkers and listeners. That is the bread and butter of what we do. So not just video conferencing, which I do think is a big component to it, but even phone calls, things like that. This is something that has been underutilized for far too long. So the idea that it took a pandemic for us to embrace it completely, well, there's another factor to that that I'll let you guys get in on later. But the, the idea that we, at least in my area where we had been using it, we knew that this could be a major factor in seeing people way before they got to the point that things were totally breaking down around them. So I think this is going to be something that is going to continue to be embraced because everyone is starting to see that it's not just this quirky thing that a few doctors do. That really was the way some of my colleagues would describe it. Like, oh, you do that thing? Like, no, 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 no. This is now mainstream. And I think it's going to continue from there.
2: Yeah, um, Ryan from Pop Psych, by the way, I forgot to fully introduce myself. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and therapist also in New Jersey. Um, I read somewhere that we've basically had 10 years of progress in telehealth in two to three months, essentially, that mm-hmm. the rate at which now it's it's accepted and normal. Um, I'll give you an example. I work for a small group practice. Um, so those handwritten notes, if you could believe that. Um, and in three or four weeks everything got set up to do telehealth and we were just a small group practice in you know a small suburban town and now i see all my clients from that practice online so that happened really quick and you know obviously some people are are adjusting to it all my clients are adjusting to it but i think it's it's for the best i mean we were talking before we started recording that it took a pandemic for this to happen but you know, unfortunately, sometimes we kind of have to to kick the industry or the government in the pants to kind of get things to where they need to be. So I'm grateful um, that now this is as normal as it's becoming. Because if this enables us to, to offer our services to, you know, people who, whether they live in rural areas, or whether they're homebound, or whether their work schedules are all over the place, this is the one of the biggest solutions, I think, on the table for us to be able to to spread access to people who need it.
0: For me, for my own practice, um, we, I, I did do some uh, teletherapy prior to everything going on with COVID, uh, just because some people were a little bit uh, further off, they were in different different province. So we kind of had to, because I work at a private practice and uh, at a university, I was gonna have to juggle both of those, but now everything has moved to private practice and has moved to online. And it's been a struggle to figure out what platform to use, because we wanna stay uh, HIPAA compliant. And unfortunately with everything going on with Zoom, uh, Zoom is not HIPAA compliant, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not confidential. So I kinda had to figure out the best way uh, and right now, I'm using Doxy, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be mm-hmm. working out pretty good for now. Uh, my practice management software is supposed to be coming out with a, um, a teletherapy platform with rolled up in uh, what I use. So hopefully, that's going to be coming out in a couple weeks, and it's going to be pretty good. Um, and it's just business as usual. Unfortunately, I feel that there's kind of something missing when um, I'm with a client face-to-face compared to being through a screen. I just feel there's just that one little component Mm -hmm. missing.
5: And I think clients feel that too.
0: Mm -hmm.
5: I mean, I think that like, at least in in my uh, business, I work in a small agency and we have gotten to the point where we are strongly encouraging people to do the telehealth. We haven't made it a mandate yet, but I mean- Even though I'm strongly encouraging people, most of them still want to come in. And I mean, we obviously have our our social distancing rules and my agency is doing a lot of extra cleaning and we're taking a lot of precautions to make that still possible for our clients. But clients don't want to abuse that system either and they prefer to be in person. I mean, they want to come into a place where they know it's their safe place. And it's hard to kind of find a a space and a time at home to really have that privacy that they want when they have their sessions. So I think there's a lot with telehealth that we can still refine and that clients are having a hard time finding that too.
0: Fortunately for us, it's not something we had the luxury of doing. Our province has been in lockdown for the past, five weeks or so Mm -hmm. give or take so it we're completely barred from seeing anyone but
4: i i think too how quickly because i know for the private practice that i work within it was i think once the lockdown hit maybe three days in. All the insurance companies finally said, "Like, yeah, cool, go ahead, do telehealth, it's yeah. fine," which just made the access um, a lot easier. But there is definitely that component that I know a lot of clients that I work with feel is that they do miss that in-person uh, sort of connection. The the connection with the body language and everything like that is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, in the I think there, in the senses where telehealth could need to on i was having a conversation
0: with um dr scarlet another of the mental health avengers that couldn't be here tonight um last week and we were discussing what we felt was missing it within the, the telehealth and she mentioned something so simple of handing a tissue to a client mm. that's having a moment it's not something i can do anymore yeah yeah, you uh, can be
5: like, "Do you have tissues handy? Can you grab one and say it was from me?" But that's it.
6: Right. Yeah. It doesn't have that same impact. Right. <laughs> Maybe not. Right. You know. Not yeah. quite. Uh, it's been it's been an interesting adaptation for me. I'm a hundred percent telehealth right now, and uh, the private practice I'm at has a platform that is HIPAA compliant. So that's something we've had for a while and been uh, able to use that, and it's been helpful. We primarily used it just for supervision and within the company meetings before, but now we're able to use it for, for client work um, and insurance approval. We did do some of it for cash clients, but because the insurances wouldn't cover it, we we couldn't bill that way. So we officially didn't do it. Um, but the, the change now has been something that's taken some getting used to, but I've been able to even do some of the more specialized treatments that I do with EMDR and hypnotherapy been able to do both of those uh, remotely with people and been able to get good results from it so wow it 's awesome. moving
1: yeah i I did just realize because there was a situation that came up uh, thankfully, it was a situation where the person was near one of our hospitals, but sometimes patients or clients are in circumstances where they're not exactly in a place that they can talk. So if we're using this and they're at home and and it's an abusive environment or or whatever, that means they have to come up with something artificial and in a time in theory where they're not supposed to leave. And so uh, we we do have kind of a a backup where we say, okay, you know what, you can come to our emergency room. We have one designated room where no one else is allowed in there uh, and they can, contact us and we could still do the session, even if technically I'm not in the same hospital, but I could still see that person. So, you know, that's, that's something that I do think about when it comes to uh, seeing patients, especially for initial assessments. The first thing I ask them is, okay, is it, is it okay to talk, which is something that I usually don't say, but I I feel like it's something I've had to really introduce. Get
4: an idea of what, where you are, the location, just in case of any, any emergency is going on. It's to, to, for, I think, us as to what we do as a part of our initial, either initial assessments or just continuous as well. For us, one thing we needed to do
0: is we wrote up a completely new uh, consent form for teletherapy mm-hmm. with certain guidelines and making sure that you're in a place where you can talk uh, that it's confidential as much as possible. and So making sure that they're completely informed with what we're going to be doing.
8: Um, yeah, my practice did the same thing. We just came up with a whole new um, consent form for people to sign. Um, and so with that, that kind of specifies all, all those exact things. I think, um, we've, I've been on strictly telehealth for a month. Um, I'm I'm a a person who would be more likely to get more sick, more severely ill if I I did catch it. So I've been home for a while doing telehealth. And I think there definitely are some parts that I like in terms of being able to see clients who maybe live too far away, being able to see some of my college students, even though they're out of state. I think what, what has been really and of course, it was really easy for them to do like everything would be if insurance would just go along with things the way that they should in the first place. You know, all they had to do was say yes. So as soon as this stuff happened, they lifted all the, you know, all of the access. So now I have clients. Um, I have some clients that I'm seeing twice a week because it just needs to happen and it doesn't. Um, but also, it is also hard with some clients who have that um, are in an abusive situation or don't have a safe place. So I'm having sessions with people in their cars. Yeah. I have a couple yeah. of people yeah. yep. who are calling me from their car and mm-hmm. and it's like and I think that for some of those people having a space to come to really is a relief to even just be in a place that they can even feel a little bit safe so I definitely miss that part I think that I totally hate <laughs> I think I hate thank it you. thank you um, for it, saying it yeah it makes me oh my sad. God. um I miss being able to It's just so different uh, to Mm -hmm. talk to someone and also like with any glitches, having any glitches like I have, I'm seeing like, gosh, I think I have maybe like 10 or 12 teenagers slash kids. And if they don't talk loud enough, it's like I had this, it makes me crazy. Like it just, it's really frustrating um, for some of those. And also I've been taking um, intakes. So I've had you know, brand new sessions with people I've never met before. And I had three of those last week and I was just like had a little cry after each session because I was like, I hate this so much. And I, I mean, it's, but on the other hand, it's so nice to see that they just lifted everything. Like I don't have to get authorization every Mm -hmm. 10 sessions anymore. It doesn't matter if my college students are out of state. Um, I can talk to people on the phone if I need to like, what a relief. And I've definitely, but I've definitely lost some clients who just absolutely refuse. Um, And then I have some clients who will only do it on the phone.
0: Yeah, I've gotten about a quarter. A quarter of my clients have kind of pressed pause. Mm
7: -hmm.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
7: And I think it's just the, speaking from a purely egocentric perspective, I think just the stamina of virtual health, it feels like I'm doing twice as much work. My brain is like, my, like, I got those, like, blue light glasses, I've been wearing those, like, the past week, and I, it just feels, I mean, to be vulnerable about it, like, I think I've never felt so insecure as a therapist since maybe I was green, in that, like, I leave sessions thinking, oh, did I say the right thing, like, it's just, like, whatever the secret sauce is with being with someone in person, where you can kind of, like, feel their energy, or whatever woo-woo stuff you want to think about with it, like, it's just not there with the online, so I feel like I'm, I'm taking more swings than I normally would, but I don't know if I trust after I take them. And, yeah. and I also, I work, not to give too many details, but I work with um, you know, more intensive cases. And so like, that can also feel like you have to problem solve on your feet a lot. And so that I feel a little rockier with like what I, what I suggest, what I throw out there in a way that I haven't felt in like years as a professional. And so I think that there is just something that's just not there with the on- I mean, like obviously online's better than nothing. Yeah. But also oh, that yeah. Is like, you're missing that little whatever it is, that je ne sais quoi that comes with being in person, that you know, I'm looking forward to having again, hopefully sooner rather than later, but who knows?
3: All right. So basically so so what I'm hearing from the professionals is that telepsych has solved some problems, and obviously created a whole host of others. Um, I certainly don't think it is woo-woo, um, as as Brittany <laughs> is saying, to to say that telepsych is missing that human connection, that that in-person vibe that you can pick up from somebody. I, I think you would really have to be, you know, someone who looks at such in such black and white, stark terms to to ignore the fact that there is something extra with a an in-person uh connection an in-person session with somebody that you can't get over the internet but as as has been said as well it's better than nothing and i think what this ultimately is proving is that there it, there does exist a need for it but it is not intended or it should not be intended to completely replace in-person therapy. But I do think what we've been seeing from not just your comments, but from things that I've been reading online and just in the zeitgeist in general is that there needs to be a balance and that there needs to be a, a supplemental use of telepsych and telemedicine in general for people who either, you know, need that, um, need that thing right away and can't physically get to somebody or as have as been alluded to, they may not be in a physical location where they can go out to a, a therapist session that may be telepsych again, um, for for one reason or another is all that they have. And so what I think we need to do moving forward, and again, this is me speaking as a non-professional, but I think there needs to be a balance and a use of telepsych as supplemental to the in-person therapy. And that what I'm Mm -hmm. hoping, and we can segue into this momentarily, is that the insurance companies, once this pandemic passes, they don't go back to the way things were and say, okay, now you have to be in person. Now you have to do this, that they say right. you can do either or mm-hmm. depending on your needs, um, yeah. depending on the needs of the client and the availability of the professionals, because I'm sure that tying into the the issue of availability, I'm sure that there are mental health professionals who would be more willing to help clients through telepsych. And that may increase the availability and access to just the overall number of professionals to be able to say, okay, here's another doctor that you can see. Even if they're only taking clients virtually, that's still another option. And that may take some of the burden, um, mental and emotional and physical, off of the in-person clients or the in-person professionals. So I think that there needs to exist a balance. And, and you know, I just said uh, on, on the uh, two episodes ago that I know I'm a naive idealist, um, but I could certainly hope that there are positive changes that come out of this pandemic and that we can work together to establish a new normal once this is over and that we don't immediately just reset things to back the, the way that they were because I think this pandemic is certainly showing a lot of flaws in the system um, in in general. So, um, so and I guess I my, mean I don't thoughts. think
5: clients or certainly professionals from what we're all saying like would choose telehealth over in person. Like I think that maybe there was a a conception that it would be overused when it shouldn't be or something. I don't know. I don't know what the rationale was for insurance companies not allowing it before. Um, maybe there wasn't one since it was so easy to just say, yeah, it's cool to do now. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, just put in different codes. Yeah. The
1: billing code and the, you know, and, and the accessory to a GT, at least as far as I know, has been in there for a long, long time because yes. I was told always put it if you use it they will reject it but at least you're acknowledging that you're making you documenting effort. it yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
5: What's,
4: yeah. It, what's interesting is the, uh, the personal insurance that i have working through a hospital i'm part of a union they advertised telehealth about a year ago and they advertised it saying here use this app um if you ever run out of medication and you need a three-day supply let us know we will get you connected with a psychiatrist for an acute session and we'll get you what you need. But psychiatrists again, have
5: been able to do it.
4: Right, it's yeah. the, it, but it's the mental health. But now I'm starting to see, and this was before the pandemic, they included um, not just psychiatrists, they included social workers and other mental health as well, even prior to the pandemic. Hmm. But once again, I live in New York, that's one insurance out of thousands. Right, because right. there's
0: been services that are completely tele-based. Yeah, I was going to say it's a talk, track, talk space. I think a couple more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, talk space is one I think, and they're entirely text or uh, video conference based. Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
6: Yep. Yep. And
8: I think um, one of the other things that I think is good about what's been happening is. Um, we also are, are able to waive our co-pays um, for clients and um, that I think has really given some of the people that I see the ability to actually reach out if they need a second session. I think that's one mm-hmm. of the things that really stops people. Um, and Especially that with
5: all the financial stuff going on right now. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So it yeah. feels,
8: really, feels really nice to be able to say, hey, if you can't swing it right now, we are waiving fees. And I've kind of pretty much just told everybody that and kind of just have all my people just not paying code based Cause it's, Good cause it, make, it just doesn't make any sense to have them do that. And I think the other thing, um, the other thing that has just been, it's just been interesting. I'm also really hopeful that this will move something or at least open up a door in terms of how easy it was for them to, to kind of get us all in this place. And I think that even professionally that I'll probably do like one day a week when, when this is over for like clients who have really tricky schedules or who mm. live in the suburbs. Like I took on a couple of clients who don't live in the city and I won't be able to see them like mm. once we go back. Um, so I think even, I think you're absolutely right. I think I would never choose it over, um, in-person <laughs> therapy ever right. in a million years. Um, but it's a but tool it's a, to have in the toolbox. It is, it is. Right. And I think, and I think that it's really, and it feels really nice to offer people another
1: another option. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I yeah. do well, think well, that my services,
0: really... like BetterHelp, Talkspace, were mm-hmm. so um, so popular for a long time. It's because it's on your time, where you can, rather than going to an office. Uh, it's much more confidential for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, and had people
0: some... really like that mm-hmm. aspect.
1: Yeah, I've, I've had some uh, people with some severe anxiety disorders point out they would not have even sought treatment if it weren't for the availability of some technological access before seeing someone in person. Right. So there yep. is a, there is another spin to that where um, it's, a, it's true that I definitely have noticed there are some patients that just simply say, no, I won't do it. I'll wait for everything to come back. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. you know, I'll grin and bear it. But... Uh, there are others who who basically said, like, you know what, I was really scared to talk to anybody, and uh-huh. even if it's just on camera or whatever, I know that I'm still in my place, and I'm I'm okay with that. So, you know, that that's something that I've I've definitely noticed, and I I think there is going to be a little bit of a clawback because I, pardon me, this is my paranoia coming through. I I don't trust that insurance companies are going to continue exactly the way they are uh but i don't trust insurance companies period
5: full stop yeah so
1: um i as anthony said he's the idealist i'm a cynic but i've always said scratch a cynic and you realize there are wounded idealists so yeah i i do think that we are on the positive swing i do think that they're not going to claw everything back but i think there is going to be almost like a I hate to say this, it's almost going to be similar to prior authorizations for medications where it's like, okay, you just need the justification. Why are you using telecite compared to in-person? Right, Right, cool, you signed off on it, we're good.
6: Yeah, I think that you're right. Uh, Having worked as a manager with a insurance company uh, contract, I got to see a lot of the inner workings of how things go and how they function and think. And it is uh, almost certainly going to revert back to the closest thing that they have sat down with their legal teams and found to be uh, <laughs> liability-proof um, or liability-minimized. Anthony would have to clear that up for us, being the resident attorney here. But the um, the way that they're going to think and the way they're going to go is going to masquerade as if it's client first, but it's all going to be about protecting their income first and what keeps the most money in their pocket and yes, they're going to do things to care for clients, but also how do we make money? Um, So keeping that perspective in mind is that, I think that there's a lot of things that are going to be things that employers and when they're negotiating employer contracts that there's going to be, and unions are going to be coming in with some power, firepower now that, well, we saw how this worked for our people and our people want it. So you're going to make it happen for us. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have to come from that direction. Because insurance companies function like the military does. If it doesn't come top down, it ain't happening. Uh, and I was watching a um, a news report today.
0: Um, I don't remember exactly sources from the the, the places brother there. Live. They were saying that w- when the pandemic is going to be quote unquote over and things tend to go back to normal, people are estimated premiums in the U.S. may go up by about 30% due to how much the, the insurance companies are, are giving. And that's going to be passed down to the employer, then down to... to
6: I think you're right. I think everybody's going to see that. Going,
0: that's going to be a big deal for a lot of people, people that can barely afford insurance now. Mm-hmm. People doing for, for their insurance.
3: Well, I think that that's a perfect segue then into the next um, topic. And one of the things that we had discussed very briefly in the problems uh, episode or part one was insurance. And so solutions, I mean, God, I think we're going to see this, at least in the U.S., this is definitely going to play out in the presidential election. This is going to be a major topic um, and I'm not going to try and get into too much of a political debate, but I, I will say that I'm confident that this issue is going to be brought up during the debates. It is going to be part of the campaigns. And what I think I've been seeing is a lot of, at least on my end, even the, and I'm really trying not to to get too into the weeds here politically, but what I've been seeing from a lot of, say, my the older folks who may tend to skew a little more conservatively is this um, backlash against the insurance companies and and pharmaceuticals for making everything about money and for making everything profit-driven. And what I've been seeing in equal measure is the response that if you want to do that, then take profit-seeking out of insurance. Then take the profit-seeking, then take that incentive away from the doctors. And then they will only do the tests that are needed. They will only give you the medicine that is needed, and they're not going to be in it for making money. And in addition, you will see the doctors and the professionals, and I'm not denigrating all professionals, obviously, but you will see the professionals who are only in it to make a buck. Their incentive is gone, and now they drop out. And yes, that may reduce the overall number of professionals, which increases the burden on the rest of you all, but the overall quality increases because you're not going to see the professionals going after whatever makes the most money. They're not going to be making decisions based on money. They'll be making decisions based on what is best for the client. And so what I think that a lot of what we're seeing in this pandemic is going to help lead towards more of a push towards a single payer system in the United States and I you know again I'm not trying to necessarily get into the weeds politically but I think that one of the things that we are seeing as a result of this pandemic is pushing towards that because this is exposing all of the flaws in the current system and not to say that a single payer system is without flaws but I think that the the people who've been suffering the most under the current system are willing to say, you know what, this isn't working. Let's try something different. And it pushes towards that. So as a potential. Well, I can speak
0: sol- to that a little bit. I was, uh, was going to say, can-
3: Dr. Goku can certainly speak to that from a Canadian perspective.
0: We have a single payer system in Canada and it's province and territory based, but it's overarching through the, the- So if we look into mental health specifically within psychology for me and my province, there's one fee overarching throughout private practice. There's one fee. There's a small leeway. It's between X and Y and it's about a $20 difference and you charge within that $20 difference. Most either red in the middle or red at the top. And it kind of stomps the the shopping of who is the cheapest alternative and who do you fit in with more. Um, And mm -hmm. compared to other provinces, so the bigger provinces like Ontario and Quebec, you're going to pay a little more just because the provinces are bigger, the provinces are richer compared to the smaller provinces where the... the the mean income of the residents are lower. So it kind of varies in that way. But for us in Canada, when it comes into the general health sector is the government negotiates all of the prices for every single supply and gets a lower cost because it's buying for the entire country. So it's big big bulk orders rather than the, the individual orders, uh, I think it's like per hospital or per state. So that's it, one way
6: that they're keeping the costs down.
3: So economy of scale.
6: Yeah. Uh, I think Anthony's right. I think that it's not going to happen fast. It's probably going to take another 10 years is my guess. Mm. Um, but the the reality that we need to get the profiteering out of healthcare in our country is just flat in the faces of everything. And you see it with access and you see it with people being uninsured and people having to choose, um, you know, like how much they can choose to afford on therapy if they don't have insurance because not every practitioner will do a sliding scale. Some people like my fee is 150 flat and you can afford it or you can't. And, um, to see that removed where people can see the provider who is the most qualified to solve their issue would be the way I would love to see things go. Because not the cheapest therapists, like the, there was a place that Hannah, Brittany and I all worked at, and you kept running into the constant problem that the most qualified practitioners leave after they get so fed up with dealing with the state insurances and all the things that come with that problem and the population is very difficult to work with, is that the most qualified practitioners, 80% of them leave, and the other 20% become supervisors and aren't seeing clients as much or eventually not as all. Not at all. And they're just guiding policy. But you see that the most chronic people are being seen by the least qualified therapist because that's who's available, as opposed to who should be seeing them based on their skill set. So for
0: Absolutely. us in Canada, the way it works is you have what's covered under Medicare and what's not. So if we're looking into psychology and psychiatry, so psychiatry, all covered through Medicare, entire thing. When it comes to um, psychology, you have through the hospital or you have uh, the community mental health and then you have private practice. So hospital, community mental health, all covered through Medicare, meaning no one's paying anything out of pocket it's all it's all covered it's free but it's going kind to of cover within your tax dollars in private practice because we're elective people pay for the service but generally most people have uh, a separate insurance that covers like dental mental health uh, physiotherapy massage therapy and uh, other things and that widely varies from client to client. I've had people that have enough coverage for three sessions
6: and I have people that have enough coverage for an entire year. And imagine having not being paid in a situation where they're paying uh, such a large percentage of their paycheck into premiums and then also dealing with deductibles that are climbing through the roof. It probably makes even having to purchase a supplemental insurance to do that or pay out of pocket much more reasonable to do. So first,
0: most insurances are covering eighty percent. Most plans are eighty percent. Meaning uh, my clients pay about thirty two bucks when they do claim through insurance and we direct bails so they thirty two bucks.
6: Completely reasonable. Here we have, not only do people have premiums they have to pay, but they also have to pay the deductible before the plan even starts paying 80%. And some of those deductibles are in the $10,000 or more range. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So not only are you paying for the year $12,000 for insurance, but you got to pay another 10000 before the insurance will even kick in. So it's, uh, it's garbage. Yeah. The, people are
5: the, having to choose between like the okay they're having to prioritize like okay well I need this like like physical medication if we can call it that I guess okay well I'm gonna do that because and and it since I'm paying for that I can't afford my you know mental health medications and I definitely can't afford to go into a counselor every week oh my god I mean it's like the, doing like mental health triage and yeah. It's yeah. not working.
1: Yeah, you pay for the right. To pay to get treatment at some point in the future. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And the idea that at this point, I know just about every psychiatrist that I work with and nurse practitioner, we learn the basics of how to bill. And then from there, we realize, you know what, we can't dedicate nearly as much time as we should to this. Mm-hmm. And we therefore have specialized people to deal with that section. And we have them negotiate with the insurance companies and the insurance companies realized, wait a minute, they have negotiators Then we need to make sure that We have the proper people to justify why we're not going to cover certain things and we end up with system bloat and I know once again, not to get into the political side, like Anthony said, uh, I think one of the fears, though, that many people have is that that's on the private side with people trying to make a profit that still are willing to put out the manpower just to battle these types of charges. If that's what private companies that do insurance are willing to do, what on earth is the federal government going to do? So that's a fear, not just, I'm not just talking about from some providers that I talk with, uh, I'm also talking about some, some patients, some clients that basically say, okay, I'm, I'm all aboard the idea that I'm going to get coverage from things from day one. That's fantastic. How on earth are you going to guarantee to me that, you know, let's say right now, I just have to deal with my insurance company for a medication. And I could still, in theory, make up my mind and switch somewhere else or, you know, do some other plan. If it's all just single payer, And they say, for whatever reason, that medication is not appropriate, or that doctor, you know, needs to make five phone calls to to justify, what am I going to do then? I'm not going to have any other options, or at least that's the view that I hear. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying that that's a concern. So
0: for here, the way it works is the, the government deals with everything incoming to negotiate the prices down. Treatment is left up to the practitioner. So what they feel the person should get as long as it's not excessive. There's kind of that checks and balance in terms of um, don't uh, recommend 15 different tests when it's not needed. So one or two, figure out and as long as it goes, but it's left to the practitioner.
6: Yeah, and I think that sounds like a great solution to some of the issues and that something I'd like to see here to like to touch on where you're going with that and where Doc is going is again, Hannah, Brittany and I all worked as part of the system bloat, to be honest with you, our last position, they paid us double what we were making as frontline practitioners to help people learn how to navigate their system better is essentially the role we had. It makes no sense at all. That, and that bloat is all over because it's not just people who are getting paid to help figure out how to, how to be uh, educated and talk compassionately to people about how to navigate all of the nonsense options they have to go through. But also, we need to find a way to reduce reduce that without like, uh, jeopardizing jobs that people have because mm-hmm. then people are going to start getting upset. But we that bloat exists in so many ways that there's not just people who are care coordinating and managing that there's people who are uh, determining whether claims can be approved or not. And they're pulling practitioners off the lines with money in order to do that and finding solutions to minimize the need for that. So we could have more of those people outside of the insurance company and back on the front lines, working with clients would be a huge solution point from my end. Well, if,
3: if I could just jump in real quick, then one of the other things that I've been seeing, um, and has been widely discussed as part of this pandemic is the fact that so many people are now being laid off from work. The unemployment claims are skyrocketing week after week. At this point, we're going to see potentially 30% unemployment in the United States. And one of the biggest things that I've been seeing and one of the largest complaints I've been seeing is the fact that your medical insurance and your health insurance is tied to your employment. And that now with millions of Americans and again, potentially a third of the country being laid off. Mm -hmm. Not only are you not making money now you have no insurance, which is a double whammy for so many of these people. And I think again, that is going to strike in favor of a single payer system because now you have the health insurance, regardless of your employment status and you have the ability to seek uh, assistance with your mental health problems in many, I I know for many, and it makes sense, being unemployed is incredibly stressful. It weighs on you and that impacts so many other aspects of your life. And then it becomes a vicious cycle because you're unemployed and now you're stressed, you're anxious, that feeds other problems. Now it becomes more difficult to find the job. So now you still don't have insurance. You can't see a therapist. You can't get the help that you need. And it's a, it's a negative vicious spiral. And I think one of the solutions to that is to take is to separate employment and health insurance and if you if you separate them so that you have the health insurance regardless of your employment status that i think you're going to you're going to decrease anxiety in a lot of people and it's going to it's going to help the employers because now they are no longer required to spend copious amounts of money and look for the cheapest plan and so on and so forth. And they can turn around and put that money back towards their employees and back towards creating a better work environment rather than spending all of so much percentage of their overhead uh, requirements on providing insurance. So I think that is another solution. But again, that's something that really has to come from the top down. And that's mm-hmm. that's such a heavy political animal that I don't know if and when we're we're gonna see that happen. I certainly hope we do, but
5: Well, and I think it does have to come from the top down, but also from the bottom up. There is this fear of how it works. Like, I mean, I think we're talking about the bloat because we see it from the other side and we see all the all the, you know, costs that are just nonsensical and that we shouldn't have to have and and how this all stacks up but then there are people who aren't taking into the account the like that you have to pay twenty thousand dollars before anything is covered and they're saying like well how is this going to get paid for Uh, okay well you're going to be paying less i I mean i think Mm. people have this really like visceral kind of like micro fear not even like the macro how it's working on the whole social scale. It's like, how is it gonna work for my family? And it's just because they don't see how everything's stacking up right now to rip them off, really.
0: Because for us the way it works is you pay your taxes every year, and that pays for your health care. You are born, you're born with a card, you
4: get the card. <laughs> Gee, it sounds so simple covered when you for say life. Like that. Sounds nice.
5: Sounds
2: nice. Yeah. <laughs>
4: What we've been doing—I also work at a at a hospital as well as a medical social worker—and what we've been doing, as soon as they come in, um, if you know, they'll tell us either that they've been recently unemployed or they have no insurance right now. The one thing that the quickest thing that we're doing is actually applying for them to get onto New York State Medicaid. You know, so we need the proof of the uh, proof of being laid off, the proof of being terminated, as well as a few other things. So while that's a solution to helping some people at least remain covered, the, the thing that needs to change, which once again, this is sort of a top-down thing, I can speak for Staten Island mostly, but also some of the other five boroughs as well, nobody accepts Medicaid. You, yeah. have, to, you have to go to a hospital clinic, be it for mental health or physical health realistically, and get the care there. So now you're dealing with social workers and counselors who have, I think the last I saw, maybe 50, 60 people on a caseload. And some people are not always, you know, and sometimes sessions for Medicaid can, you can bill for a 15 minute session. And I've known social workers to do that because they have 10 other people waiting for them. Yeah. So these, you know, as far as like a solution for that goes, Medicaid has to be. Completely reworked in, in a sense because you need to have one more outside providers accepting it. And I know there's a lot of red tape for people to become a, a, a provider for Medicaid and Medicare as well. But that has to be. And I know there's also a little bit of a payment issue too. When private practices go to bill for Medicaid, they don't get as much as they deserve, unfortunately. Right. And so How about nobody $40 takes it. dollars less. Yeah. So everybody says, you know what? I'm not going to deal with the red tape to get certified, nor am I going to deal with the low payment. So I'm not taking Medicaid. And just because I'm a nerd and I look at stats in December in New York alone, over 2 million people are on Medicaid.
5: That's a lot of people. (laughs) And it's, and it's awesome that you're helping them do that. But quite frankly, you shouldn't have to do that. Right. That's part of that bloat thing though. Like that's not your job. No,
4: but
1: it becomes that. Yeah.
5: Right. And it, it becomes and it's a awesome part of that you are, but right. it's like
1: <laughs> yeah, it's that classic. It's not your fault, but it is your problem. Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely.
4: The doctors literally will come to me. Hey, they have no insurance. Get them insurance. Uh, j- <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay.
5: They're <laughs> like, I don't know how the feelings reflection my way out of this,
4: man. Right. So more yeah. like it's it's uh, oh okay.
6: <laughs> yeah. Right. And and here I don't know about there. I mean, imagine New York isn't a whole lot different than Chicago. You know, it's something that you're bigger. Uh, but the. <laughs> things that we have to deal with is if you want to get somebody on insurance that same day like hospitals like you're saying have some more power but if you're doing that for just somebody in the public who's lost their job and needs to get on health care if you do not physically go to the DHS office if you mail your application in or if you put it in on the computer it will take you three months yes for them to process Absolutely. it whereas if you go you're going to be there with everybody from all walks of life who is there just like you but everyone is going to be Mm -hmm. there for hours Mm -hmm. and it will take you six hours to get seen you'll get insurance probably that day or the the first of the next month depending on Mm -hmm. when you're there but
5: wow do you have the time to take six hours today or do you wait three months
4: correct and that's really where this that's where the solution comes from it's the it really is as much as we don't necessarily want to get too too political it this weighs heavily on a political sense, because there needs to be somebody uh, as powerful as we are as the Avengers. They, we do need somebody <laughs> a little bit more powerful to say, hey, you know what? These people are right. Let's make a few changes yeah. to how there's some a, a delivery of service. I was a councilman in
3: a tiny town in New Jersey, so I've got some political pull. you got some pull. <laughs> yeah, like you well, were saying, Anthony,
0: the, the people that are laid off, lose their job, and subsequently lose their insurance, it plays so heavily on their mental health. And mental health is health. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Mental health and is physical health, yeah. In yeah, you
8: know,
0: being in that state, certainly within the climate that the world is now, is terrifying for people. It's, sort it'll of, come to, do I want to go get tested? Mm. Do I want to pay for the test or not, or for the treatment? Or do I just want to, hopefully it won't be too bad. Exactly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You, um, you're starting I, to say something, Brittany?
7: Yeah, so I, this is a little off, sort of off topic, but just kind of one for me, like be able to pick the brain of having a bunch mm-hmm. of you know, mental health professionals in one area and two possibly helpful for whoever's listening to us is what have been your go-to suggestions, recommendations for the clients you're working with who are struggling with all these things we've been talking about, like stress related to like work instability or I don't know, everything that's going on in the world right now. Like, has there been any go-to suggestions you've given to clients that's felt helpful? I mean, maybe I'll use them for myself. To be
3: quite honest, well, I think that's a wonderful question. I don't think it's off-topic at all, and I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I think it was, you know, certainly on the minds of everybody else here. But thank you for raising that. So,
1: yeah, uh, I'm gonna uh, talk. Ab- I- I'm gonna talk about one thing though, that because what I am as a psychiatrist, aka the pill pusher or whatever people like to call us now. Um, medications and and paying for them is still a huge factor. And I know that ties directly into the insurance thing. So there's two things that I say. One, I know that it sucks how much the pharmaceutical companies gouge for prices of certain medications, but they also need the customers. And so as your local dealer, I mean, prescriber, (laughs) I like to point out that most companies do have some form of relief. It may be on their website. I may have information directly handed to me that I print out. I may direct them to, once again, the type of people that are paid specifically to do this on a daily basis within our pharmacy. But the point is, the companies themselves are not completely blind to the idea that things are way too expensive and there are ways to get around that. There are other things for each state, at least in the country, when it comes to potential relief for medication management. Um, New Jersey RX is an example. Um, Good RX is one of the most advertised ones in the country overall. Um, they make it their business to you know, report exactly what the lowest prices are. Uh, I, I apologize. I know I'm kind of shoe hoarding this in, uh, but I just wanted to make sure I got that out there for people that really don't know about it um, because it's, it's just that important.
4: Uh, but I, I actually think it ties into though, when we talk about anxiety and stress of losing, um, losing job, not having a, a, a form of income, you know, with that comes cost of medication. Some people were taking uh high blood pressure medication, or we're taking, you know, even if it's even if we're stepping away and not talking so much about, um, <clears throat> you know, antipsychotics or other medications, antidepressants, but you know, you try to get Norvesc, which is for high blood pressure, that could cost anywhere from a $100, realistically. And so knowing that information and giving that to other people is definitely a way to help to reduce that sort of anxiety and reduce that fear that there is re- there are resources out there. It's just a matter. You got to really look and look at the fine print because they're not going to advertise them, right? But they are out there.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the Walmart $4, uh, sorry, the target $4 plan, the Walmart $5 mm-hmm. plan, those lists of medications, a lot of the generics, yeah. but the point still stands like those it's not a, rip off. They really do only cost that if they're on that list. And I know it's a short list, but I've done that. I've actually had patients where I've just switched them to medications that I knew for a fact were affordable, at least in the proper category, maybe not my number one choice, but good enough. And and that's the part that sometimes breaks my heart where I'm saying I'm doing good enough when I know I could do better, but that's the way the system is set up. Right. And I I think that
5: That Sometimes it can, it can help just to know there are those resources. Like there are tools that we can use. Sorry, my cat's having a moment. Um, (laughs) Like there there are things that we will help you find. Like something I say to my clients is like, if this doesn't work, we'll try something else. Like it's okay. We will try other things. There are other tools that we can use. There are other resources we can look at. I think that helps to alleviate some of that anxiety. that's just like, if this, if this happens, then that's it, I'm done. But like, there's, yeah. there's so many more things that people just don't know are out there.
6: Right. And there, I agree. And there's, you know, that there's so many people that don't know that yes, you can get on Medicaid, especially if you lost your income, like, you now meet the income qualifier for it Right. Uh, or at least it's it's worth trying and you know, so a lot of people have spouses that are still making enough money that keeps them over the threshold, but people only look at the individual number of, and they don't always look at the family side, where they can be like, well, you you don't have that income now, or, or so you do have the ability to meet that, and getting on to those plans are available to you. So, you know, like knowing kind of what your safety nets are would be a huge way to relieve some of that anxiety to know that yes, you're gonna have to go and wait in line for four to six hours to be seen and uh, it's gonna be stressful. And with COVID, I'm not even sure how that's working. Uh, (laughs) Maybe they're giving digital uh, things and letting people in at one at a time and they have to wait in their car. I have no idea how DHS is doing it right now. Um, But the, the safety nets exist and you won't necessarily be without like your insurance totally like yes like doc is saying you might not be able to take the same medication you may not be able to see the same doctor but you won't be left with nothing
2: right right
3: Right. ryan i was going to say i know ryan you had your you you had a point i think you wanted to make at some point or well
2: yeah obviously you know and, and matt said this before as the avengers we can't actually challenge the realms of government or industry But Brittany, I thought, asked a great question, which is sort of what skills we can actually suggest for the people on the front lines, our patients or people who might be our patients if they had insurance or if they had access, right? Um, So for me, one of the biggest sort of skill areas that I've been working with my patients on during this time are, are, you know, a lot of different skills, obviously, but specifically DBT or dialectic behavioral therapy skills. Um, are fantastic during this time you can get yourself you can go on Amazon and get a DBT skills for anxiety workbook um, It'll be really basic working on things like distress tolerance um, You know mood regulation interpersonal effectiveness because if you're stuck in your house with your family or um, or if you're by yourself like chances are there are gonna be things that are gonna be really difficult and skills like uh, radical acceptance as an example is re- are really important during this time, just to kind of, you know, you might ask yourself, well, I'm, I'm not pretending this isn't happening, I'm obviously accepting my reality, but, you know, if we are, um, just to use some examples, watching Netflix all day, or sleeping all day, um, you know not that those are unreasonable responses to this situation but that is sort of non acceptance right that's doing mm-hmm. something other than what you would want to be doing to take care of yourself so mm-hmm. i think there's yeah, I a think lot I've, of different skills
7: yeah. i've been having a lot of talks about what are we What's the difference between something that's kind of like an avoidance or like a time killer versus like actually makes me feel pleasure and makes me feel good? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sort of what you're saying, like a big part of DBT, like you're saying is like mindfulness and like telling people like try different things and like, but actually think about how do you feel after you do it? Like whatever, if we're in a time period where you take an hour nap a day because you've been on Zoom for school all day or whatever and your brain's fried, do you feel better after that nap or do you feel like foggy and you don't want to get out of bed and it actually makes you feel worse and so it's kind of like paying more attention. I think that's been really hard even for myself is like kind of losing track of like my routine and like what I do day to day that actually makes me feel good because I think also part of like you were speaking of like the not acceptance pieces. I will think a lot of people, not even necessarily clients, but like people I know in my life are going to like a lot of avoidance tactics. It's like, we just have to get through this time. And if I can just like be some form of unconscious for like most of it, and then I'll wake up and it'll hopefully be like, we'll be released. Um, and so I think like being mindful of how are we spending our time and just because now we have time on our hands. I don't know. I feel like people have been going two ways about it. Either they're going really hardcore into almost like despondency and like avoidance behaviors or the super productive end of it, which I think we've also been mm-hmm. seeing a lot on social yeah. media, which is we should use this time to write the great American novel or some stuff. And like so I've all said to tell clients, like it's okay to like not be that either. Like trying to find that sweet spot, I think has been really difficult for everybody. And like I said, like myself included, I made a little chart of all the things I'm trying to do every day and I color the little squares in to help me be mindful of like, yes. <laughs> what am I doing every day that helps myself feel good? And mm. is it actually feeling good or is this something I'm putting on this list and when I don't complete it, cause I'm just not feeling drawn to it. Am I feeling bad? You know what I mean? And I think like having that conversation with clients as well about like what are we doing that's actually fulfilling us as much as it can be. Are you are I you think. in my head?
3: I I swear <laughs> you're in my brain on a regular basis because I, I I'm not even gonna pretend. Uh, I've been struggling, um,
1: uh-huh.
3: and I could say this. You know, I'm among friends and even the the listeners. Uh, I've been struggling a lot with the situation. Uh, I am an extrovert, and I've been now working from home for over a month. And in addition, uh, as many of you know, I have a young son who just turned over, who just turned a year old, uh, April 1st. And my wife is a a veterinarian and she works 12-hour shifts and her schedule has been, her schedule was more of a a five-day-a-week thing. And then they shifted. So now she's out of the house three days a week for 12 hours, which means during those three days, I am solely responsible for taking care of my son, whom I adore and I love. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, but... I also have to work from home. And so I'm responsible for managing the household. I have to be responsive to the emails and phone calls that come in from my boss. And they are understanding to a point, but I, you know, so if I don't get back to somebody for an hour, that's okay. But I can't just say I'm not answering emails today because I have to take care of Theo. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to, he goes to bed and then I have, you know, maybe an, hour to myself and then my wife comes home and we get to spend maybe an hour together and then she's exhausted from her shift and then we go to bed by like 9 30 because that's the life that we live now and on top of this my son is teething so he's not even Um. really sleeping through the night and then he wakes up and he's screaming and crying and takes an hour or two or three no exaggeration to fall back asleep and I never feel an opportunity where I can recharge. And it's, it's made me break down on more than one occasion. Let me just put it that way. There are times in which my son is not the only one crying uh, in the middle of the night. And I'm somebody who, again, you know, from stuff that I've learned from Doc and things that I picked up on on the show, I'm somebody who knows these techniques and is, is at least aware of them. And I still can't practice them as Effectively as I could or should.
7: Girl, and- I'm a therapist and I'm not practicing this stuff, so I would. <laughs> so I think another word same. I've been trying to remember, and I've also some of my best stuff as a therapist I steal from my therapist and then I regurgitate <laughs> to my clients. Also, same. Um, is yeah. like just self compassion and like mm-hmm. hand in hand with mindfulness is like being self, like, being compassionate, I think one thing I read that I've been thinking about all the time is, like, we're not, like, working from home, like, frou-frou, that's so fun. We're, like, in, we are at home trying to work during a crisis, and so, like, that's a very different way to think about it Mm. than than the, you know, former, and so I think I've been trying really hard to, and I think that what flies in the face of the productivity part of it is, like, just being with my like present with myself and what i need at any given moment i don't have to be something magical which i think also joins in with like my feeling maybe a little bit more insecure lately as a clinician is trying to practice that self compassion in those moments right. as well
5: and 100%. i think you- one thing i
0: say to my clients all the time is leniency empathy and compassion towards yourself in terms of one don't expect that your life is going to radically change and you're going to be super productive because you have so much more time. No, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen.
5: This isn't a vacation. Yeah.
0: No, it is not. Yeah. And, and it's like you're mentioning either. No. Right no. now, we are working from home, being a parent, a teacher, a spouse, and everything else through a crisis. This is not normal. Yeah. Human no. beings are not made to work this way. And no. I, there was a really good video by Dr. Ali Matu uh, a couple of days yes. ago. I don't yes, I, I, I really recommend that. everyone watching it. And he says that humans aren't made to, to function this way. We need childcare. We need teachers in schools. We need to go to work
1: to meet each other. People. Yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah. We are social yeah. creatures. Yep. And we can't function in isolation.
5: But yeah, yeah, like I'm an introvert and I'm even starting to feel a little. (laughs)
7: Wow.
1: Yeah. So, so Mm -hmm. as a fellow introvert, I will say that I haven't even had that situation because my job requires me to be at my office, but here's the weird thing. Because I have an administrative office in the hospital itself, it's best, according to them, it's best for me to do as much telepsych From my administrative office in the building sequestered from everyone else, which means that I don't get the interaction with my colleagues and my peers and the nursing staff and everyone else, which I do enjoy. I actually love. Mm. I don't get to be home with my family and my wife is pulling her hair out. My daughter is amazing. That's fine. But I'm just saying she doesn't get the immediate support from me. My daughter misses the bejesus out of me during the day and lets me know the second that I get home. I'm like, I feel like I'm getting the worst of all worlds here. (laughs) This is so so strange. And then on top of that, because of our format, we cut our hospital to the point where it's one person per room. It used to be two per room. So literally the Mm. census got cut in half at its max, Mm. which in theory lowers the workload. You would think that that is a good thing, except we have the number of providers for a typical workload. So now I'm flexing people. That's part of my administrative job. So now I have people where I have to say, by the way, you're taking some time off, you're going to take a, time, you're going to take a day off to, you know, this week. Right. And they're saying, no, I don't want that. So now I'm literally putting a burden on people that don't want it, in addition to not feeling comfortable in the position myself, on top of the idea that I'm not following what is my natural inclination on how I recharge, and so I'm wondering, and, and when I had to do this and make a schedule for it, I asked my bosses, I said, well, how long am I doing this? And I got blank stares. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that actually, that was a realization to me that it doesn't matter when it comes to whether or not we are quote unquote experts, whether it's mental health experts or business experts or, or anything, we are in the unknown.
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And
5: yeah. that's a huge source of anxiety for everyone. It's yeah. just not and knowing. Anxiety
0: is the intolerance to uncertainty. And right now we're in completely uncertain times. Right.
6: Right. And we're, we're going through a collective trauma. I mean, like, yeah. I, I'm a trauma therapist, so I'm always going like, to base everything on like, what might be potential trauma first when I conceptualize it. But mm-hmm. I, I've seen it over and over, and I uh, think maybe that's part of Dr. Ali's thing, too, or another mm-hmm. uh, person who published something similar, is that remember that this is a collective trauma. Mm -hmm. That We are all going through. This isn't a sabbatical. This isn't a time where we're all going to be in our best mind state and our most productive state taking a break from work. No, we're doing all those things. I have a two-year-old daughter at home. My wife is working at home. We're both trying to balance doing things. And uh, we have a two-bedroom condo in the city. Like I I have to balance all of those things together. And some of the things that I'm working with clients on is the things that I'm trying to manage with myself is that we the cognitive skills aren't going to work a whole lot right now. It has to get more into the body-based, like how are you getting yourself into calm mind, calm body states?
5: We are how, at like the bottom of Maslow's pyramid right now. Right.
6: I just said that yeah. to
7: somebody like two days ago.
1: Yep.
0: So funny. I've been Yay. going to basics with most of my clients yep. on a regular basis in terms of are you doing your breathing exercises, your grounding exercise, relaxation, or... Are, are, just basic anxiety management dbt skills mindfulness skills just to let's just ride this wave right
5: and i think that's hitting on we're circling this word this universality is what i've just been focusing on with all my clients it's just like same you, you are not alone this this stuff that you're feeling ben i love that you brought up the collective trauma i just did Um, like a a Zoom meeting actually for a bunch of like local business leaders and basically like explaining to them self-care techniques and I brought up the collective trauma thing. I equated this to 9-11 and how like this is a very different kind of trauma but it's the same situation where we are collectively dealing with something that is way bigger than us. that is unprecedented. We have no idea what the rules are. We're all making things up as we go and it's okay. And that goes back to that self-compassion thing is just validating to yourself. It's okay. Not to be okay right now. It's okay. Not to know what the hell you're doing. Cause we don't either. No one does. And we're all trying to figure it out.
0: And the thing with this trauma, it's not one event that's happening, and then it's done. It's, it's continuing. one event, and it's continuing, and it's getting progressively worse, and then it kind of tapers off. But things aren't going to go back to normal. It, no. Even when we have a vaccine, chances are it's going to take years before we go back to normal or a variation of
3: well, and that's one of the things that I've been discussing with just friends and family in general, um, and that's one of the things that I think we are discussing here is what is. I guess that's the last thing that we'll we'll get into. What is the hope for you all of what the new normal is once this fades? What are some of your predictions or hopes? You know, uh, idealistically, realistically, whatever. What do you hope is the new normal after? This fades, and we'll say, in eighteen months, I think is you know if I if I could be twelve to eighteen months, I think is realistic in the uh, in the, the timeline for when we've reached a point that we're not seeing such a drastic uptick in new cases that we're seeing things um, back to the point that you know maybe only like worldwide we're seeing like you know less than a hundred cases. A day or a week, what have you? Um, what are some of your hopes for what the new normal is after this? Uh, I'll, I can so go here. One of the things oh, Hannah, that uh,
8: <laughs> just, I love talking over Ben
1: so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of I hate
6: things- my co-hosts just so everyone knows, like their existence uh, in I general. I love them, good but at I also super uh, good at it. squishing Mom. your heads right now. <laughs>
8: One of the things um, that, I just forgot the question.
7: The question is, what do we think our new normal is going to be?
8: Oh, that's right. Okay, so some of the hopes that I have. Other
6: than talking over Ben. um, Yeah. Shut
8: up. I do it so well. I don't have to work on it. Um, (laughs) One of the things that I'm hoping for is that, A, that the access to mental health, that they do see a, um, but they do realize how important that is, that in some way, shape, or form, mental health, I'm, look, I don't have a hope that it's all going to be different, but man, it would be really nice to even just have the telehealth option not be fought in any way anymore. I don't know if that's realistic. Also, school's giving kids less freaking homework. I can't deal with it. Mm -hmm. I have, I have freaking 12-year-old kids and 10-year-old kids who are checking their email and getting all stressed out. They're doing school on computer on the computer from eight till 3.30 and then doing homework until like midnight.
5: Uh-huh.
8: Like a 12 year old kid. And I think that's something that, and I also think that parents being at home with their kids and seeing what this is like and seeing how much stress their kids are under. I am really hopeful that the parents will this is like a magical dream i have that the parents like will rise up and go to the schools (laughs) and say this is friggin outrageous you have got to stop doing this to our kids the amount of kids that i'm currently seeing who are feeling less anxious about school i'm not even seeing them as much as i normally do because it's like oh i'm doing school from home so i'm fine like (laughs) it's not it's
0: for a lot of people their anxiety has gone down Down. during the the pandemic
5: I've also worked with a lot of people who have like chronic depression and anxiety struggles and and I expected like I kind of was bracing myself like oh this is going to be a lot worse for them and then they come in and they're like no this is normal everyone else is on my level now (laughs)
7: like the movie Melancholia yeah uh
8: (laughs) yeah I think I, I I absolutely agree with that so I think that that's one of my that's one of my hopes and also just knowing that, and I think one of the things I've just been talking to clients about in general is kind of like doing anything that helps you feel less anxious. Mm-hmm. Like take, if you need to take your temperature every day, take your friggin temperature every day. Like mm-hmm. it's not hurting anybody and yeah, yeah. it's something that helps lower it just a little bit. So I think mm-hmm. just trying to have anything. Cause I know that it's been, this last week was really, really hard for me. I was like laying face down on my couch, like screaming about how much I hate tele- teletherapy. <laughs> Even though I'm very, very grateful that I get to do it. And I'm really glad that I still get to see my clients in some context. But, but it's been really hard. I've had panic attacks. I haven't had panic attacks in like 10 years. Had um, like just kind of like cry at the end of every day. So like it's really hard. And I think just again, that idea of being flexible with yourself in terms of what that looks like now.
1: Yeah, well, that's my hope for the future. Yeah, is that, my, right? yeah, I would yeah. say, yeah, I, I would say my hope for the future overall, uh, speaking for for healthcare providers, not just mental health, but overall, is the word that comes to mind is grace. You know, allow yourself the grace to not always feel your best one hundred percent all the time, because there is this myth that as a doctor or whatever that you have all the answers and you always have to do the perfect thing. And if you don't, then you're useless. And I think this whole situation has brought to a head something that I know I've noticed amongst my colleagues. I mean, like, you know, whether you want to call it burnout, whether you want to call it moral injury, I've I've seen so many terms for it, but just the idea that somehow, and Anthony, I know, I know you're going to see where I'm going with this, that somehow we were superheroes and we need to stop treating ourselves that way we need to make sure that we recognize that we are in this with everybody else the exact same way. And if we stop pretending, then we may actually be able to physician heal thyself. We, mm-hmm. we just have never given ourselves, at least not in my training at any point, did we ever acknowledge that we were supposed to give ourselves that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And if there is something that in 18 months, comes from this the idea that doctors themselves are willing to say like you know what right now i think i'm going through a depressed phase i need to get this addressed and i need to reach out um or i'm you know or my anxiety is through the roof and you know is there someone that you know that i could talk to whatever it is if that becomes more of the norm then i think that we'll we'll have a, a much better system, regardless of what insurance companies say.
3: <laughs> well, I've been seeing a lot of support, certainly for the, the frontline uh, workers, for the, at least the the doctors and nurses on the frontline. I know that there's been a lot of support for them. And I'm hoping that perhaps that bleeds through to the rest of physical health, you know, physical health employees, mental health employees. Uh, Matt, I know you had a, you had your hand up. You wanted. Yeah. It.
4: And thank you for that perfect segue, because what I, I see it especially now working on the medical floors within a hospital that I really do. My hope is that they do see how important my function is because in my time in working in a hospital, I'll be honest with you. And I'm not trying to be, um, you know, sad on purpose, but I've been, I've been told that my job is pointless, but Now my job is crucial because I'm the one helping to get patients out of the hospital safely, making sure they have everything that they need before they leave. And unfortunately now that includes making sure they have oxygen when they get home. So my hope is that instead of three social workers running a whole hospital, there will be five to six to seven running or helping in the whole hospital. I I really do hope that that, that we're viewed as part of the team.
5: Essential, like we actually
4: yeah, are. That mental health <laughs> is not oh, yeah. elective and it's
0: not a commodity, crucial. but it's something that is crucial and essential. Yeah. And yeah. it's not made
6: Absolutely. up. Yeah. Yes. It's not something that you can just go back to work or pray away. Right. Like, we have get in to make enough money and you'll be fine. Pray it away. And you know, I'd mm. like to see some of that for, for me, I, ideally. Uh, you know, as a uh, Thor minded person, what I want is like, everyone to see all the stuff we've gotten by standing up and saying no, and like, take it like Thor when he had coffee, throw it on the ground and go, another! (laughs) 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 and just demand (laughs) the the things from this society we've gone and declared that we are getting this now. Like, I would love to see because the stress of student loans being covered for six months without having to worry about it, like, that's huge for people like me that work for uh, a government agency, like, for all of these concessions to be made and all of these payments that we're not making to still count towards my 10 years mm. and that financial burden to be off of me because it's money that's made up from nowhere uh, that is being taken from us because uh, we're money factories and seeing those kinds of things being taken away because everyone stood up and said no. And seeing people do that with when the insurance companies try to claw back the regulations they pulled back, trying to claw back on the things that they're paying for, trying to claw back the money that they've been bleeding out, that you know they're bleeding out now. And when they try to raise the premiums and uh, in an ideal world, I would see everybody stand up and particularly in our society, those that do the negotiating of contracts and things, stand up in that room and say, we will not take this bullcrap anymore. Like, this is nonsense. And we're going to stand up and say, All that stuff that you were able to give us during COVID, we want all of that, all the time, guaranteed, no negotiation, no debate, nothing, hammered down. Right.
3: Well, I think to some extent, you're going to have to ask your politicians and your your representatives to fight for that stuff. And depending Mm -hmm. on where you live and who your representative is, you may have better luck uh, conversing with the wall, but I won't get into that. Uh, Ryan? Let's go yeah. to you you've been quiet I for a while that
2: ben uh took the uh the superhero route so i'll go that as well um uh iron man would try to find every possible technological solution so even though we all acknowledge that telehealth is not a panacea it's not a replacement for in-person therapy um there are a lot of great resources and and opportunities here for technology to become something that's even more specifically focused on supporting our mental health, whether that's peer-to-peer networks, mental uh, wellness applications, um, obviously telehealth. I'm excited about VR, AI, all of it. I want all of it. I want it as soon as possible. I want everyone who is you know, in the tech space and, and aware that we're experiencing a national shared trauma to recognize that this is gonna become a real area of need over the next six months to 10 years, right? Um, I actually work part-time for a um, company that does telehealth for employers, and this is the sort of side tag of that. I hope employers recognize that, you know, even if you just want to put on profits, you will will make better profits if your employees are able to stay at work because you're supporting their mental health. And if that means you're... you're just guaranteeing them six sessions a year that's better than none if they're if you're guaranteeing them access to to medication or to mental health coaching there's so much stuff that's out there and it's all going to be better than what we have now which is to say not enough
3: Mm -hmm. very well said um I think that's about as as good a place as any for us to end this. I mean, I'm sure we could continue for another uh, several hours, but uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, One of the things I do love about this group is that everybody brings something to the table and everybody feeds off of everybody else's ideas. And why I hope that we all come away with is the idea for not just each other, but for our listeners that, and has been said repeatedly, uh, we're all in this together and we all are here for each other and that there are resources out both just for, for all of us internally. I think any one of us is willing and, and available at any point to lend an ear to listen um, if needed for each other. And also I would put it out to the listeners of all of our respective shows that you are not alone, that you matter and that there are resources out there we are willing to help you that is one of the reasons why we all do our shows individually and certainly one of the things that you know much like the avengers come together to fight the the enemies that no single one of us can fight we all come together because this is bigger than any one of us and so i hope that each of our listeners uh, whether you're listening to this on, on capes on the couch or any one of the other shows that you know that there is help out there and that whatever you're going through, you are not the only person going through it. Um, and I'm not saying that to minimize whatever trauma you are going through, whatever you're struggling with. I'm not saying that to minimize it in any way, shape, or form. I'm saying that to, to prove to you that there are folks out there who can help you with it and who are willing to help you with it. And that's what all of the, the fine folks on this show are willing to do, be they professionals or not. Um, we all do this because we care. And I think if nothing else that we, we are continuing to show every time we come together that we do this because we care. Um, and that is sometimes that's all you need. Um, and sometimes that's enough. And God willing, um, you know, we can, we can all get through this. And maybe by, as I said, uh, you know, uh, on one of my previous shows, by the grace of whatever deity you choose to believe in or not, that things will that the, whatever the new normal is that we all stand up collectively and we help each other uh, create that new normal. And it's something that's better for each other and for our listeners and for us as a species, because I think this, uh, we, we need to be mindful of that this disease doesn't care um, who you are. doesn't, matter what your income bracket is, who you voted for, who you pray to, what your blood type is, doesn't matter about any of that. It's killing humans. And at the end of this, we need to remember that we're all in this together as humanity. And uh, anyway, that's, again, the the naive idealist in me. But, uh, you know, I'm Captain America for a reason, I suppose. So.
8: (laughs) Such a good speech.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Very good speech. Thank you. Uh Bravo. I try. Um, so you succeed, sir. (laughs) So I will, uh, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up then with uh, everybody plugging who you are and where they can find all of your, your shows and your social media. So I'll start, um, Doc Issues and I are on Twitter, uh, both individually and collectively. um, Oh, come on. Just
1: say, just say it's capes on the couch. I barely am on that thing. Come on.
3: (laughs) Yeah. You, you are barely on Twitter. Um, so capes on the couch on Facebook. Um, instagram and twitter we have a facebook group we have a discord we have a patreon we have a Tea public if there are any uh, our email address is capes the at gmail.com and our website is capes the live or capes and really if you just do a search for capes in the couch you can find us um and again you know we're so grateful to the to the rest of the avengers for getting together and, and doing uh, this so i'll throw it over now to uh to ryan for Popside.
2: Thanks. So yeah. You can find pop psych One Hundred and One everywhere podcasts are found and everywhere social media is found where um, I would say our biggest ones are Twitter and Facebook. So if you're looking for more content from us um, at pop psych one zero one, you can also email us at gmail uh, pop psych one zero one. So thanks so much for having me on this time. I hope uh, we get to keep doing this. Definitely. We'll, we'll love to have you back as, as schedules allow. Uh, Anna,
3: you're up next.
5: Yes, you can find Freudian Sips Pod on all the podcast aggregating platforms. We're on social media. Freudian Sips Pod is our tag on basically everything. Uh, Freudiansipspod.com and you can find like merch and links to our episodes and everything, all the cool stuff. And if you want to email us, we're Freudiansipspod at gmail.com.
3: All right. And now uh, Popcorn Psych.
7: Um, so you can find us at Facebook and Instagram at Popcorn Psychology. On Twitter, we're at popcorn underscore psych. You can email us at popcornpsychology at gmail.com. Um, we're always taking requests. We talk about movies. So we're always taking recommendations. If anyone has one, they really want to hear about. Um, and I think, yeah, we're on Patreon as well. If anyone wants to be generous.
3: Uh, uh, last but not least, Guardians we are guardians MH uh,
0: you can find us at guardiansmh.org or you can email us at support at guardiansmh.org we are a 501 c3 nonprofit um, we run a discord group uh, with a hundreds of members and a very uh, active mental health professionals team. It's been growing steadily over the these past couple weeks. Uh, we also have the uh, RTS bot that you can integrate into your uh, Discord server which is giving you uh, real-time support for mental health. And personally, you can find me at SSJ5Goku28 on Twitter. Uh, how about you, Matt?
4: I don't use any social media, so just find me in the
3: Guardians uh, Discord. <laughs>
1: smartest answer yet
3: (laughs) Hey, lucky you sometimes i find myself uh, caught in a, a vicious twitter cycle so again thank you so much uh to all of the avengers uh we appreciate all of your input and uh i appreciate all of you assembling for this very important topic and until next time this is anthony sitko thank you so much for listening and we will see you soon